Could you get into more detail about what you're seeing that the IMF may not be seeing and highlighting in terms of the outlook? So I do think um, the, the outlook is reasonable. It's certainly uh, stronger, brighter than the last time uh, we had the annual meetings in October. All right, my brothers and sisters, welcome to BCP Unfiltered. This is going to be unlike any other episode I've made before. Um, I had a sleepless night last night, and I want to share that with you. This is BCP Unfiltered. I'm going to show you what I've been up to and why I haven't been able to sleep. Real quick background, if you're new around here, I'm wearing the glasses, so I have the banker look, but I also don't feel like putting on the monkey suit I had on earlier, the nice pink shirt uh, and sport coat. I'll probably put it back on later for my next YouTube episode, but this is BCP Unfiltered, and this is how I want to be. I don't want to wear the banker's suit because I've been a banker for in, and in finance for over 20 years, okay, since, uh, since I started at Bank of America at the age of 21, opening up Versatile accounts. Then I was in branch management for Wells Fargo. I'm telling you all of this because it's important, so you know my background. I got a degree in economics, and while I was working toward my degree, I was in management at Wells Fargo, well, a regional bank that became Wells Fargo by acquisition. Was recruited to work for Arthur Anderson when I got my economics degree uh, as an economic consultant doing modeling, mostly damage analysis modeling. Then I started uh, my own series of companies uh, and businesses on the internet and what have you. Went back to work in investment banking. Left again to start my finance firm, my first of two finance, well, first of three finance businesses. Then 2008 came and wiped wiped uh wiped out the economy i was blessed and lucky in that that last year i had made a, a good amount of money to the point where when everything came halting i still had money in the bank because i was making money fast and furious doing construction lending building spec homes small commercial real estate things of that sort strip malls um on the finance side financing that i wasn't building them uh 2008 is a blur 2009 was crazy uh Went back to accounting and then went back into banking and then start, you know, started my own businesses again. And about four or five years ago, I don't know exactly, uh, we had a family business that allowed me to just walk away from corporate America, uh, start my, a YouTube channel as we built our, our business, our family business, and here we are. I say all that to say this. What I'm going to break down to you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that something's amiss. So I started off with a clip on this episode of Janet Yellen lying again. I caught Janet Yellen lying in spring of 2021 when she said that the pressures that we have on the economy that's causing inflation was transitory. Now, many of you can attest to this. You've been on this channel, either on this show or on YouTube for years now. You'll know. I said she's a liar. She's a bold-faced liar. How can inflation be transitory when what's causing inflation isn't transitory that's like saying that's like a battered woman saying it's going to get better with my husband 
but the husband continues beating her and drinking and doing all the things that abusive husbands do. It's nonsense. It's a lie. In the case of Yellen and the government, it's fraud. Well, I, I really doubt that we're going to see an inflationary cycle, although I will say that all the economists in the administration are watching that very closely. But um, that's, that's a transitory thing. I, I want to just show you where, where I've been at. Let me be transparent with you so you know the catalyst uh, for all of this. I've been worried about these bank failures and what's coming down uh, the pike for uh, American consumers and the economy for several reasons. One, because I report on this. And two, because I'm an American, an American consumer with a family and children and what have you. And I'm trying to do my own personal thing to hedge against what might be coming. And something was presented to me. Not something new, but something was presented to me. And which I, th I think is a great hedge against what's coming. And it's a scary moment because you, you, you go, what, what am I going to do here? I, I think there's going to be more bank failures. I think there's going to be massive uh, inflation, hyperinflation. Then we might have... Uh, we might have stagflation. I mean, it's just this. All I don't know exactly what's going to happen and in what order is going to happen, in because we're somewhat in uncharted territory, but we're not at the same time, which I'm gonna get into. But things are going to get bad. Is it gonna be super recession bad? Is it gonna be 1930s soup kitchen lines bad? Is it gonna be 2008 bad? I'm going to show you some numbers and I think it's going to be 2008 bad or worse. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Now, let me say right now, I'm not, I'm not selling anything. I'm not giving any advice. I'm not going to talk at all about my personal strategy. I'm just not going to do that. I don't have a fiduciary agreement to you. Um, and I don't want to just have, I don't want to open up any can of worms or like that. It's not about what to do in this situation. It's just an awareness of the situation that is brewing. Is that fair enough? Okay, let's get into this. Let, let me, uh, let's go back to Janet Yellen and break some stuff down and then let's get into reality of what's happening right now and compare it to 2008. We're seeing diminished inflationary um, projections and um, diminished inflation in some parts of the world. As I mentioned, the United States is doing extremely well economically with inflation coming down in a strong labor market, and um, Europe is doing better than was feared at the time of our last meeting. So um, I, I wouldn't overdo the negativism um, about the global economy. I, I, I think we should be more positive. Of course, there are risks. Um, I think the outlook is reasonably bright. All right, so that was from yesterday, Tuesday, Janet Yellen at a press conference, at a news conference, pushing back against the International Monetary Fund, IMF, who said that there were bigger risks associated with the severe financial tensions going on worldwide. And she said that even though she remained vigilant to some of the downside risks, that overall the economy looked reasonably bright. All right. Well, I showed you in 2021, she said that everything that inflation was transitory. 11 months ago, she was called to testify on this and she doubled down on it, that it was transitory. Even though it wasn't transitory, it got worse. 
expired. The gentleman from Michigan, Mr. Heisinger, is now recognized for five minutes. Last time you appeared here with, uh, with uh, Chair uh, Powell, you had uh, claimed you felt inflation was, at that point, transitory. Do you still believe that today? So, um, Very short, please. I think when I used the word transitory, I was thinking that it's related to the pandemic and that when the pandemic goes away, that will make a big difference. Do you still, still believe, believe it's transitory? That. I believe that the pandemic, unfortunately, has been and will be longer lasting okay. than I anticipated. So you still, basically you're saying the pandemic is still happening, therefore we're, that's why we're still seeing inflation. Well, I think that's one of the contributors okay. to it. Okay. So last year she was wrong about her 2021 comments because of in, about inflation being transitory because the pandemic was still going on. Well, the pandemic's now over, as I reported on YouTube. The joker, the fake president, Joe Biden, signed the bill, the GOP bill, ending the pandemic, essentially. He didn't veto it. Surprise, surprise. The reason why he didn't veto it is so he, so he can end Title 42 and have mass immigration come in through. It's going to get worse, folks. Okay, so this time around, she is thinking everything is going to be peachy keen in the economy. She's, got, she's a little bit uh, cautious. But we already know what the escape route is going to be when she's wrong again. She already said it. It's the war in Ukraine. Of course, there are risks. Um, many of them relate to Russia's war um, against Ukraine. And the global outlook, I think the single best thing that we could do to improve the global outlook would be to end that barbaric war. But um, I think the outlook is reasonably bright. All right, so that's Janet Yellen yesterday, Janet Yellen last year, and Janet Yellen the year before that. In other words, she's a liar and you can't trust her. I, I just, I, I need to have this as our baseline. The government representatives lie. They lie to keep the sham going as long as they can because when it crashes, what do they do? They bail out the big guys. That's why this phony money destruction of American wealth, middle class, working class, and the poor continues cycle after cycle because they get bailed out every single time. Yellen can lie every single time, blame it on some other extremity or some other emergency that went longer than they thought. And then when the whole thing comes crashing down, they bail out everybody. And it's business as usual where the bankers make millions and billions more. And we, the taxpayer, hold the bag and fund our own destruction. And where does that money go? It gets laundered. Remember all that bailout money from 2008? Where the hell did that money go? It was a record amount, $700 billion to rescue the country's failing banks. Weeks later, and with the economy still in turmoil, many are wondering what happened. So now we're talking about sort of trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. We're trying to say, wait a minute, okay, the money's gone. Where did it go? A congressional oversight panel is looking into just that, finding out what Treasury has done with the billions it's already spent. It is entirely appropriate for the American people to know how their taxpayer dollars are being spent in private industry. 
Meanwhile, the Associated Press contacted 21 banks that received at least $1 billion in government dollars and asked four questions. How much has been spent? What was it spent on? How much is being held in savings? And what's the plan for the rest? None of the banks responded. We didn't get one answer, not one straight answer. We got a lot of, we're trying to meet the uh, intentions of the law, we're trying to boost the economy, we're trying to lend more money, but no numbers. No bank would tell us exactly what was being done with the money. A spokesman for J.P. Morgan Chase, which got $25 billion, responded with this. We've lent some of it. We've not lent some of it. We have not disclosed that to the public. We're declining to. SunTrust Banks, which got $3.5 billion, simply said, we're not providing dollar in, dollar out tracking. Okay, folks, so everything changed in September of 2008. Remember that month and year because we're going to come back to it. So this is December of 2008, and people are like, where'd the money go? Where's it going? What's it being used for? Because we bailed them out, but we didn't make them, the big banks, accountable for the money they got in deposits, the money they're supposed to have in reserves. And when we bailed them out, they weren't even really responsible to let us know what they did with the money that we bailed them out with using taxpayer debt. A year or two ago, when we talked about spending $100 million for a bridge to nowhere, that was considered a scandal across the country. Now we're talking about 1,000 uh, bridges to nowhere, and that's called a new stimulus plan. Congressman Garrett opposed the bailout. He and others blamed the lack of transparency on a quick decision by Congress, one that lacked a concrete plan. It was just a rush to judgment. Administration came down and said, you have to do this today or the sky is going to fall. The panel expects to have some answers for Congress and the public in early January. Lawmakers say they want to tighten restrictions on the remaining $350 billion before any more cash is handed out. And Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson says the department is trying to step up its monitoring of bank spending. In November of 2008, we started to find out what was done with all that stimulus, too big to fail bank money, bailout cash that these banks received. Economic picture continued to worsen today. Weekly jobless claims at the worst we have seen in seven years. Mass layoffs continue across a variety of sectors in our economy. The markets remain in free fall. The Senate Banking Committee held a hearing today with representatives from banks getting money from that $700 billion financial bailout package. Committee members wanted to know where the money's going. Not an unreasonable question. Bank executives say they are both lending the money and working with delinquent homeowners and that the money is not going to pad executive paychecks. A general counsel at Goldman Sachs told the committee that compensation, quote, will be down very significantly this year across the firm, particularly at senior levels. We get it, unquote. But what does down very significantly mean on Wall Street? According to Bloomberg Financial News, Goldman Sachs has set aside $6.8 billion for year-end bonuses. Morgan Stanley, $6.4 billion. Now that figures down from the record-setting $12.1 billion Goldman shelled out last year and the $10 billion that Morgan Stanley paid in bonuses. Granted, they cut their bonus numbers roughly in half, but that's still a lot of money. And both firms are taking taxpayer money from the bailout package. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley each got $10 billion of your money. Here's the question. 
What does it mean when Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are planning to pay $13.2 billion in year-end bonuses? John in Colorado writes it means the top management for both companies must have been born on the sun. Unbelievable in today's dire economic environment that any financial institution would pull such an in-your-face stunt. A full three years later, our legislators were trying to account for this money, and it was still unabashedly, unashamedly going to executive compensation. There's a method of my madness here, folks. Let me just show you one last clip from over, I don't know, 10 and a half years ago, almost 12 years ago, actually over 11 years ago now. In Washington today, Congress was judging the hefty paychecks of the executives who run two government mortgage companies, known by their nicknames Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Fannie and Freddie own half of all mortgages. Taxpayers had to bail out both companies, and Wyatt Andrews tells us that's why executives were feeling the heat on Capitol Hill. Additionally, I'd if anything could draw bipartisan anger in Congress, this was it. Huge paychecks and bonuses for top executives at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac when those two agencies combined have cost taxpayers $169 billion with the losses still mounting. Okay, follow me here, folks. Here's the, the method to, to my madness or my madness or what I'm getting at. Remember, I'm operating on essentially no sleep last night, pulling an all-nighter. I think I slept for like two, two and a half hours, eventually passed out. They screwed us over with all of the bad subprime mortgage loans in the mid-2000s. Then they created all of these crazy... Uh, mortgage-backed securities and bonds and things of that sort that had a whole bunch of bad loans in there. Let's not forget that even when the whole thing was coming unraveled, Moody's uh, and uh, S&P were still like, you know, still giving them high ratings. They were lying to the very end. They screw us over, then they get bailed out, and then the guys make big compensation. What makes us think that we're not going to go through this again this year? We have the same thing, but this time even caused by the government. We have the banks with low interest rates, not knowing what to do so or, or, or bad management. They buy all of these low interest rate, long-term treasury bills, 1.5% for 10 years. Then the government jacks up the interest rate to 4.5% and these banks do not have an asset. You know, they have an asset that's paying 1.5 when the interest rates are now 4.5. There's no market for that. Then they got to sell that at a loss when people start to figure out that they're not liquid because they're not following the reserve, the fractional banking system, which is a sham. They're not following that. People start to get concerned. They go and do a bank run. They got to sell these, these, these assets at a loss. And it just is a cycle of more failure, but they don't care. They're going to be bailed out and they are going to still be compensated. They have no incentive to change their behavior. They, in fact, they have a perverse incentive to continue this risky behavior. So this is where I'm at last night as I'm deciding if I'm going to use this strategy to protect my family or you know, to, to hedge and protect my family. And I'm going, well, let's see how fast and furious can this happen? 
And this is kind of what I want to share with you some numbers that I found. Now, if you go over to the FDIC website, when you go over to the FDIC website at, uh, you can see here, the official website of the United States government, you can see the failed bank list. And you can see we have Signature Bank of, of New York on March 12th and on March 10th, a little over a month ago, Silicon Valley Bank started this off. All right. Two bank failures in March within a couple of days of each other. Now, I want to get some information and compare this to how bad this could be compared to 2008. So let's, uh, let's get some numbers. There's no numbers here. So I looked it up. Okay. What were the assets really of Signature Bank? Okay. So the bank had $209 billion in total assets at the time of failure. That's what the FDIC said. Uh, they don't know how much of that was over the $250,000 insurance limit. But all indications were that most of those were over $250,000. But the bank, but here's where I'm talking about the bailouts. The government said they're going to bail out uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Don't worry about it. You'll be made whole no matter how much money you have in there. Even though previous regulatory reports show that most of Silicon Valley Bank's deposits exceeded the limit that the government had set a cap at. They're going to they're guarantee them even above and beyond that. Now let's look at Signature Bank. So Signature Bank uh, was acquired by Flagstar Bank, okay? So what did Flagstar Bank look at? The deal will include the purchase of $38.4 billion in Signature Bank's assets, a little more than a third of what they held in the bank a week before. So let's, uh, let's just run that to 35 times two, that's 70, and then another 35. So over 105, 110 billion dollars okay the FDIC said 60 billion of that will uh will remain in receivership okay these are big numbers folks but how do they compare how do they compare to 2008 and this is when i started to get a heart attack and not a heart attack but this is when my eyes started to be open and i started to lose a little sleep about how big this can actually be so i created a little spreadsheet here downloading uh, the data. So if you go over uh, here to the FDIC, you can see you can download this data. So I downloaded it and then I went elsewhere to, to, to add some more numbers to it. But we can see here, once again, Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank, the two most recent uh, bank failures. Now, I found a list of bank failures that were over a billion dollars, a billion dollars at the time. So I said, let me go back and look at, see how, how big 2008 was. So let's go, scroll down. So I went down here and I, I've highlighted it here in yellow. And let's kind of go in chronological order. The first couple uh, bank failures in 2008 were less than a billion dollars. But then in, in May, we got A and B Financial. They're the first billion plus uh, to go. So if you see what I did here was I took the... These are the 2008 banks that failed. There were over a billion dollars. It wasn't in chronological order. And then uh, what their valuation was at the time of being bailed out. And then this is adjusted for inflation. So I kind of put these numbers here on the side just so I can visually see them at a glance. Folks, 2.1 billion, 32 billion, 3.4 billion, 1.1 billion, 2 billion. 
we have the first big one. Remember Washington Mutual, which was everywhere? $307 billion. But that didn't come till later. In 2008. But if you compare that to what's going on now, we have Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. Their numbers are already huge in the hundreds of billions of dollars. What are the bonuses going to be for these guys based on these numbers? And what is going to be the, the uh, what's going to be the, the fallout to, the, to America for a bailout of such large number? Folks, the, the, the incentive is perverse. There's no reason why these banks are, are going to want to do the right thing by the lend, by, by their uh, by their depositors because they're going to get bailed out if they're big enough. And they're going to get their bonuses. There's no reason for, for anyone in the government or the banks to stop what's coming, which are bank runs and more bank failures. And unlike 2008, where this was all about the, well, not all about, but the catalyst for all this were the mortgage-backed uh, securities and all the tranches and all of the uh, debt instruments and swaps and everything associated with that. Well, the people who did the debt swaps and uh, and uh, and hedged against that, they made millions, billions, some, even. Folks, I, I was just realizing that this thing, we were two bank failures already within two days last month. I read reports in either Forbes or Fortune or Wall Street Journal, I can't remember where, that there's a, a few other big ones on the radar that are very, very close. Plus, we have the banks, the, we have our Fed, our central bank, our, the, the Feds telling international markets that are fearing bank runs for their dollars. Don't worry, we set up a little window to help you out as well. So now we're billing out foreign banks that hold money in dollars because we don't want this to be a worldwide crash. But the incentive is bailouts and bonuses. So it's going to happen. People are going to lose their jobs, lose their homes and not even be able to get their money locked up. Locked out. The big guys are going to know way ahead of time and, and, and transfer their money out and the banks that are going to go under. Everyone else is going to be frozen. Can you float a week, two weeks, three days, five days, five weeks, six weeks while everything is being sorted out? There's no conclusion to this episode, folks. I'm just giving you my thoughts and my analysis as I'm going through it. This is what I was looking at. I put this together just visually for you folks today. In 2008, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine banks that failed with a valuation of over one uh, billion. So far, we have we have more than that already. Mid-April. And who knows what's still in store. It does not look pretty, folks. It does not look pretty. In 2008, it started off with a few billion dollars. And then if you look at the numbers and you adjust it for inflation, there were still just a few billion dollars. We've already started off this year with hundreds of billions of dollars in just two bank failures. I just don't see how this could not be worse 
than 2008. We're already off to a very, very bad start. These are my thoughts. I want to share with you. This is me unfiltered. I, I have no conclusion except that it's going to be fast, furious, and ugly when this thing hits. And it's inevitable. There's no way it cannot hit. There's no incentive. First of all, the interest rates are still going up. They're still holding on. They have, there's a liquidity issue with these banks. And there's no incentive not to just let this thing happen. They'll be bailed out and they'll get their bonuses. And the rest of us will be ski rude. What are your thoughts? Put it down below if you're watching this on Spotify. Uh, if you're watching this on Locals or Patreon, you can put comments on Spotify as well. I just can't really interact with them. Do you think I should put this information up on YouTube? Let me know. Power!